ever acting and you uh, or got sort of got yourself back against the wall and you need to act just get Dave Falk to help you and you'll do fine how many of you can relate to Dave in any way in a small way I, I think there's two areas of relation here there's one how many of you can relate to being nervous about allowing God or Jesus to be in charge of a certain area of your life anyone experienced that okay I've experienced that how many of you have had the other experience, though, how many of you have had the, uh, the, not the before experience, but the after experience of letting Jesus have his way in some small area or a large area of your life, and you found out that inviting him into that area of your life was the best thing you did? How many of you have experienced that to some degree in your life? Okay. You know, we get to see this dynamic happen every spring and fall here at Hillcrest. Uh, we started um, this weekend retreat we call the Set Free Retreat, and it's a weekend set aside to focus on learning how to deal with sin and hurts and hang-ups and all the struggles that, that's just common to being human and, and uh, struggling in this world. And um, I, I see this occasionally. It's not everyone. Lots of people are just pumped that they finally got a weekend and they can really uh, have this spiritual experience together. But occasionally you see people and they're nervous. Occasionally. Not, not very often. But occasionally they're nervous. And uh, it's so much fun every single time to see them nervous going in and excited coming out at the end of the weekend. Uh, my theory is about is this. They go in thinking about their lives and being all introspective, but mostly like Laura Blackman actually, without knowing, she just set me up. She said, uh, she said I, when I went into it, I just, I was so focused on my sin. Now you do need to give attention to what is wrong in your life in order for things to get better. But you go in thinking about your sin, you come out thinking about God. Because there's something that happens in between, and that is experiencing the forgiveness, the cleansing, uh, the, the freedom that God brings to a life. And so you think, oh, me, 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 and then you come out and you go, Jesus. It's a wonderful, amazing transformation. You end up focusing on God and being full of praise and forgetting about yourself because he's the hero of the story and he's the one who's making the difference. Today I want to share a few scriptures at the beginning that will hopefully help you understand this dynamic or encourage you in this dynamic. And uh, because it's when we, when we endeavor to become holy and whole, and holy is sort of like God spiritually, I'm going to make real simple, and whole is, it, we're talking more about the emotional aspects, healing of woundedness in our lives. When you, when you come to this, sometimes we forget the really important part in the middle, and that is it's Jesus that's doing the work. We often say, I'm going to pull myself together. I'm going to renovate myself. I'm going to change my heart. I'm going to fix myself up. And it doesn't uh, go very well for us because these are the kind of things that God alone can really do in our lives. So let me just 
uh, share some verses with you. John 1.29. It says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Joya also set me up really great. These people, just the Holy Spirit just weaving everything together. It's really cool. Uh, was Joya was sharing when she was leading worship here from the keyboard. She was sharing how this week she's just been thinking about, consider him. Consider him. Think about him. Think about God. And again, that sometimes will take us to a place where we see our sin, but we don't see our sin in this terrifying way of going, I can do nothing about that thing that keeps uh, defeating me day after day after day. Instead, we see it in the light of God's grace. We recognize he is greater than our sin. His grace is greater than our sin. His forgiveness is greater than our sin. We suddenly realize all the things that are greater than the thing that we see as a mountain and an insurmountable obstacle in our lives. And here's John the Baptist. He sees Jesus coming and he proclaims, look, look. This is the simplest command. Just look. Just look. Look to Jesus. Right now, you've come to these, he was baptizing people. You've come to these waters of baptism because you feel the guilt for your sin. That's, sin does bring guilt in our lives. It does bring shame. But right now, look. Look to the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. That's one thing we never, even if you've been a a follower of Jesus for many years, it's one one thing you never want to uh, stop doing is looking to Jesus. It's not like you, you say, well, I looked to Jesus once, I asked him to forgive me of my sins, I asked him to be, uh, you know, my savior. And then, I don't really do that much anymore because I'm sort of on the other side of that. It's, there's a constant need for us to look to Jesus again and again and again uh, and allow that to change us. So look to the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. Hebrews 12, I shared this with you last week and it's what uh, Joya was referencing, but let me read it to you again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, it's, it's one thing to say, I'm going to throw off bad habits, uh, unforgiveness out of my life, hang-ups, struggles. I'm going to throw those things off. It's one thing to say that, and then it's the other thing to try it. And if you're like me, you've probably experienced when you've actually tried to rid yourself of bad habits or rid yourself of uh, selfishness or pride or greed or envy or lust or whatever, anger, all those different, you pick your poison. When you try to actually see change come into your life on your own, you realize this, just, this seems immovable. This seems like it, it cannot be changed. And here we're called to, to throw off these things, these, these things that hinder, these things that entangle. But it, it doesn't leave us there. And, and you need to read the rest to understand how it can be done. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Out for us. And here's that key again. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We grow weary, we lose heart when we try to change ourselves, but when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we begin to realize that he's the one who can change us, we invite him into our living room and say, have your way, I tried to. I tried to renovate my own heart and it didn't work, right? It's, you know that show, Renovate My Renovation or whatever? There's a show, basically, people renovate their stuff and it's a disaster. Then they call in the pros and they really renovate it. 
And that's exactly what every person experiences in relationship with God. It's like, oh, wait, I'm going to fix myself up so I'm mostly good in front of God. And God is like, whoa, I'm going to just have to re-renovate that. You are wasting your time. And I don't care. if you, you might know how to renovate a house. You might know how to fix a car. But the renovation of the heart that God wants to do, the deep change that he wants to do in our, in our lives, only he can do. And so we got to invite him in. You can waste your time. You can, you can uh, do all sorts of self-improvement and things like that. And I mean, many of that is, is, much of that is good stuff. But you, know what, you, want to, you want to change the seed of your affections in your life. Not really what it is. You want to change what you love. You want to change the, the internal motivation of your heart. You want to be able to love people that you currently hate. You want to forgive those people who have done you such a terrible injustice. You need Jesus. You need Jesus for that. That's why when you read Hebrews 12, there's only one verse, the first verse that talks about you doing something, and the rest just talks about Jesus doing stuff. Because once you get a command like, do this, you need to follow it up quickly with, wait, 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 wait. As you move into the sphere of, of doing this, it's doing it together with God. You're working together with him. He's on the other end of the partnership, and he's doing the heavy lifting. So fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, that's the line that Joy said, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So you want to see your life change, but you don't want to end up in this place where you're totally weary and you've lost heart and you've given up all hope that it can change. Look to Jesus. Consider him. Let me give you one more, and then we're going we're gonna, to uh, have some fun here with our bookmarks. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So God loves us, and Jesus gave himself on the cross for us. And because of that, the life we live now on this side of, on the other side of the cross, on the other side of accepting God's forgiveness and leadership in our lives, is not a life we live on our own. It's a life we live, uh, that Christ lives through us, right? Christ lives in me, and we depend on him. Okay, there's probably a bookmark somewhere in front of you. There might be. There's, we're starting to run out because people are taking them home, and they're putting them in their books and whatever. So if you've got one, grab it and pull it out. It's probably, if you're with a whole bunch of people, grab it quickly because they'll grab it before you will. Okay. I had one. I didn't grab mine quick enough. My wife's going to share. She's so nice. Thanks, son. All right. So if, it's, if you don't get it here, don't worry. We're going to get it up on the screen too. Okay? So we made these little bookmarks to keep constantly reminding us of the change that God wants to make in our lives. So I have this in about three or four different books that I'm reading, just stuffed into each one of them. But it's just a simple health check question. A health check question. Because the point of teaching... All of the, what we're doing through this Holy and Whole series is transformation. It's just not uh, information. 
It's just not that, oh, I'll, I'll know more. It's that I'll be changed more. That's the goal. So we have this question that helps us just really do a bit of a, an evaluation. So it's our health check, okay? So how about, let's read it together, okay? Can we get it up on the screen? There we go. So now it's time for honest and heartfelt evaluation of what I need to add and what I need to lose, thoughts I need to take captive, truth I need to meditate on, help I need to seek, and the healing I need to receive. Since we're halfway through this series already, I'm, I, it's, sort of, it's getting to the point where now you've had some time to think and, and uh, contemplate and look to Jesus and, and all sorts of things. And now we're getting to the point where it's like, and how are we putting it into practice? And how are we putting it into practice? Now, we've got a ways to go yet, but it's a great time to start to think about those things. I want to share with you three ways this last week I put it into practice. And they're just... Three random ways. They're not the three ways. They're just the three things that happened in my life. And, uh, and, and I'll share them with you, but I want you to be thinking about your own life. How can I put this into practice? What, if I'm honest and I do a heartfelt evaluation of what I need to add and what I need to lose, of the thoughts I need to keep, take captive, the truth I need to meditate on, the help I need to seek, and the healing I need to receive, what would I come up with? At the end, what would I say about my own life needs to change? Well, let me just tell you three of my experiences. So last week I talked about how some things are addictive and it's pretty obvious that they're terrible and they enslave you and everybody can spot that a mile away. But I also talked about how some things we allow in our lives, even though they're not beneficial and constructive, they're just sort of like not helpful. They're not like... Terror, like, you know, they're not like the, the worst thing ever, but maybe we should think about what things are beneficial and constructive and choose those things instead. So, uh, on Monday night, I think it was Monday night, my, my wife and I were chatting about uh, our, our list of movies that we have saved on next, Netflix. So, you might have a PVR in your house and you have recorded, like, all these shows that someday you're going to watch. Right? Someday you're going to watch them, right? And Or you might have made a Netflix list of someday I'm going to watch this. We had made a really long Netflix list of movies that someday we'll watch. And I, I rarely get to watch too many movies, so I just really realized I am never going to watch all these movies. But you know what? I'm going to watch some of them. And when it comes time to choose, we should probably uh, go through this and think through, is it, is it constructive or is it beneficial? Is it going to be constructive? Not, not just is it, is it something that could be enslaving, not just is it something that could be evil or something like that. That, for sure, we could, should be able to spot a mile away. But is it constructive and beneficial? So we went through our Netflix list, and we went through, and I, are you planning to watch that? Who added that? Oh, you, oh, okay, oh, okay, we'll delete that one. Do you need to watch that? No, I don't need to watch that. Okay. You know what, that phrase was a really great phrase. I don't need to watch that. I don't need to watch. It's so freeing. I don't need to watch that. I'm just feeling like, oh, I am so free. I don't need to watch that. I don't need to watch that either. And we started eliminating all these movies. Just click, 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 and, and, uh, and shortening up our list. Now, our list is still pretty long, and we'll never get to watch it either. But it was really fun to sort of go, well, I don't think that's that constructive, or that's not that beneficial, or that's one of those movies that we really don't know anything about. And do we want to spend the time finding out about it? No, we don't. I don't need to watch that. And so we just... Click, click, click. It just felt like freedom coming into our lives. And the funny thing is, I probably won't get to watch half the rest of the movies that are left anyhow. But 
it was one way of putting into practice this question. What do I need to add? What do I need to lose? Well, we lost a lot of things off our list. And I feel good about it. You know, if, you're, if you're PV, what's on your PVR or what's on your Netflix list feels like a chore to you that you need to go attend to, that's not constructive or beneficial. That's a new burden in your life. Oh, we better watch some of these movies because you never know where they're going to remove them. <laughs> That's sick. <laughs> Be free. Be free. Hey, let's read this again together. Let's read it together. Now it's time for honest and heartfelt evaluation of what I need to add and what I need to lose, thoughts I need to take captive, truth I need to meditate on, help I need to seek, and the healing I need to receive. Okay, story number two. This one's a little more, that was the easy end of the list. This one's a little harder. I've been asking you for weeks about who's your confession buddy? That Christians are really meant to be stronger than they are in the fight against sin. And the reason they're not stronger than they are is that they never, or not never, but rarely enlist the help of fellow brothers and sisters in that struggle. And yet it's clear when you read in the Bible that we're supposed to bear each other's burdens, we're supposed to confess our sins one to another, we're supposed to pray for each other, so we'll be healed, right? People love the teaching about, about confession that John does. Confess your, uh, um, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, First John 1, 9, right? We love that verse. It's like God will forgive us. That's such a nice, wonderful, powerful thing. But what about being healed? I mean, it's one thing for your, your sin, for God to say, I, I forgive you, and that relationship restored. But, but what about if that's a recurring thing again and again and again in your life? Wouldn't you like it if that thing lost its power over you? Well, that's where you go to what James said, right? In James 5, 14 or 16, I can't remember. But James 5, he talks about uh, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so you may be healed. So you want to... You want to be forgiven? Confess it to Jesus and he'll forgive you. You want to be feel, healed? Do the other thing he said. Confess to another person. Have them pray for you. They have authority that Christ has given them to pray over your life. Every average, everyday follower of Jesus has that. I've been asking people more this week because of, it's funny because I'm learning as I'm teaching, right? I've been asking people this week more than ever, would you pray for me? Like now. Would you pray for me now? <laughs> it might seem abrupt. But I just think every time I run into someone who's a follower of Jesus, there's an authority that they have to uh, pray over my life and to see things change. So I've been asking for people, would you pray for me? Because I want to see, I don't want, I want to be forgiven, but I also want to be healed. So I, I said, do you have a confession, buddy? That's the, the question I've been asking the last few weeks. Do you have a confession, buddy? The Lord really seemed to nudge me this week. I didn't get like an audible voice or anything like that. I just sort of got this thought come into my mind. And I thought, I think that might be, uh, there's a good chance that's from God. And that I was thinking, because I've often felt very confident in this, because God gave me early in my, in my um, 20s, he gave me two leaders in my life that I felt I could say anything to. I remember going to a youth conference, and all the youth pastors were in this training session, and the leader up front said, hey, you guys who work with students, do you have somebody you can go to and really 
unload where you're at in your heart. Do you have someone you could go to you could tell anything to? And uh, how many of you do? They actually asked for a show of hands. I remember just putting my hands up because I could think of these two men. And as I put my hands up and I looked around the room, it was like there's one other person with their hands up and everybody else was like, anything? No. And I remember just thinking, oh, man, I am blessed. I am so fortunate. I not only have one person, I have two. And so I felt very good in this area for a long time in my life. But both of these guys who used to live in Saskatchewan, they moved to Alberta. Shame on them. And uh, no, that's, that's not a sin. Um, might not be beneficial, but anyhow. Um, anyhow, they moved, they moved to Alberta, and, and so I, I would occasionally, when I really needed to get counsel or advice or, or to really unload or, or confess stuff that's in my life, I would make a road trip or sometimes a phone call, but often a road trip. I'd say, you know what, I just need time with one of those mentors in my life who I can say anything to. And so I've always felt very confident in this area. I've got those people in my life. But as I've been going through this series and as I've been looking at confessing your sins one to another, I just thought, no, I don't think this is a thing that you just do when you're at the very end of yourself, when you're totally at this place where you have nowhere to turn and so finally you do the emergency thing. I think this is something that's part of the living, breathing, regular life of believers. Now, I don't think it is very common in the North American church, but I think it's something we've lost along the way that we need to recover. And so I just had this sense that I've been sort of satisfied that I've got two emergency guys that live far away if I really need them, and suddenly I just felt like it was like God's nudging me and saying, uh, you need a confession, buddy, that you utilize more often. So last week I made a phone call, and I explained basically what I explained to you to a, a friend, and I said, uh, you know, you're really good at extending grace, and at the same time, you're the kind of person who, who doesn't want me to be controlled by sin and losing the battle all the time in my life. And so I think you're probably the right kind of person for me to talk to. I know you keep confidences, and I'm not looking to share my stuff with 40 people, 10 people. I, I just think I need to confess to one other man. And so would you meet with me for coffee this week so I can confess some stuff? And then will you pray for me so I can be healed? Because I want the enemy's territory in my life that he's trying to lay hold of to diminish I want any sort of garbage that he's trying to get into my life, I want that cut off. I want any kind of authority that he's trying to exert to be rebuffed and totally shut out. I want to experience a cleaner life. I want to experience more fruitful life. I want to experience uh, God's work in my life in a greater and greater way. So can I meet with you for coffee so we can do one of those things that's going to really help that to happen? And so you're, you, you should be rejoicing right now because your pastor just got an upgrade this week. Because I have a confession buddy that isn't once a year or when I really get myself into a pickle. Who's, I'm going to be living and breathing this. And you know what really prompted me to go this way? Is I have met so many uh, people in the last little while who are taking this, um, this command very seriously. Lots of people, some of them have come to me and they've confessed things. Some of them, they're, they're making connections with other people and they're saying, I'm going to meet with my buddy and I'm going to talk to him. So when I see other people just obeying God, it inspires me. And you know what? God just really nudged me. So that was one of the things I did this week. Let's read it again. Let's read it again. Okay? 
Now it's time for honest and heartfelt evaluation of what I need to add and what I need to lose, thoughts I need to take captive, truth I need to meditate on, help I need to seek, and the healing I need to receive. I'll tell you one more story. This is the last one of, of my last week. So, uh, yeah, Friday, I, I shared a bit of this in my pastor's heart, um, part of it. But Friday, I was feeling um, anxious. Uh, I don't know if anyone else has those moments where you feel anxious. Uh, the area I was feeling anxious about was really just serving God. I felt just this sense of, uh, you know, Am I doing it well? Am I, am I following him good? You know, those kind of just simple questions and feeling like this, this uh, mounting anxiety and pressure in my life. So that's just full disclosure. That's what I was experiencing. And uh, I wasn't in a happy place with that. I, 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 I knew I needed God. I needed God to help me out of this predicament. So uh, some of you know you, you get the Pastor's Heart email, which you can get by filling out a regular tender form and checking the box that you'd like that email. I try to send one out every week. But you know what I did? I went for a walk in Waccamaw. I went for a walk in Waccamaw. And I was lamenting, actually, in my email that, that uh, soon I won't be able to walk in Waccamaw because it's going to get cold. And I got um, someone older than me writing me a letter to say, basically, don't be such a wimp. We walk and walk them out all through the winter. Just get warm clothing and suck it up. <laughs> no, she didn't say it like that. But anyhow, I was, uh, I was laughing this morning when I read my email. Um, but I went for a walk and walk them out. And as I, I started out just sort of telling God how stressed I was, how anxious I was. And I went for a hike. Uh, there's lots of cool trails in there. More than I've probably even found yet. I found a spot I've never found before in Waccamaw. Uh, I, I was excited like a month ago or two, when I found the swinging bridge. How many of you found the swinging bridge in Waccamaw? Okay, you should find the swinging bridge. Actually, our chairman of the board was sort of oversaw that project. So there's a, like a cool uh, suspension bridge in Waccamaw, and I won't tell you where it is. You have to find it. But it's a full-on swinging bridge in Waccamaw. It looks like something out of Jurassic Park that they built, and it's really cool. And uh, anyhow, there it is in Waccamaw. But what I found this time was I found a, uh, a fruit orchard in Waccamaw. Recently planted, big sign saying sort of like community fruit orchard. And I was like, what? So I started walking in and there's tags on all these little tiny trees. And I was like, apple and pear. And, and then I was like, this is amazing. I didn't even know this was here. Anyhow, this is part of my experience. Through all this, I'm praying. I'm talking to God about my anxiety. I'm talking to him. And... Uh, as the more I talk to him, the more I'm out in nature, the more I'm recognizing how small I am, how big he is. His creation gives me sort of the, some of the measurement. And I'm starting to feel better. And then it just, it was like a prompting. I just thought of one of my favorite songs, and that's the song, uh, I Am No Longer a Slave to Fear. That's the title of the song. It came to my mind. So I pulled out my phone, and yes, I had not cell service, and I have a little bit of a data plan on there, so I, I, I Punched it in, and, and uh, uh, Siri couldn't find it for me. Totally useless, so I had to actually type it in. But then I finally got the song, and I, I put the song on to start playing it as I'm, I'm walking the trail. And the video they put to the song, has anyone clicked on the link? Did anyone click on the link? The video is a camera just going, walking down a trail. I was like, I'm walking down a trail while my phone is walking down a trail. 
And the song just, it was all, it's just scriptural truth, right? You know, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And there's so much more in there. Every line was just powerfully packed for me. I've sung it before and it has had lesser impact. It was so impacting the other day on Friday. And I was just sort of like, God, you know. You know the thoughts I had about myself, about my self-importance, about my role, about my, uh, my service to you that weren't right. right. These were thoughts that needed to be taken captive. I just felt new thoughts coming to my mind. Just the, the reality that, you know what? God loves me not based upon my performance. That was powerful. I've had that thought many times. I just keep needing it. I keep needing it. I keep needing to know that I'm a child of God. That before I am a, a husband, before I'm a father, before I'm a pastor or any other role, I need to know that I'm a child of God. Because if I don't know I'm a child of God, it actually uh, makes me less of a husband and less of a father and less of a pastor. Because this is the truth about my identity that, that, that precedes all of those. Before I was any of those, I was a child of God. He made me his child when I was a kid. I was a kid. And I came to know Christ and I became a child of God. And I'm still a child of God as an adult. And that truth just became powerful in me as I walked those trails. So I went out on those trails in despair. I came back rejoicing, empowered, excited, uh, ready to tackle some of the tasks that were in front of me that I'd felt high pressure about before. There was stuff I needed to lose. There was stuff I needed to add. There's thoughts I needed to take captive. There was truth I needed to meditate on. There's help I needed to seek. And there's healing I needed to receive. How about you? How about you? The cool, cool thing is if you ask God, ask God these questions. Ask him this sentence. So God, what is it? He's good. I bet he'll answer you. Not in an audible voice necessarily. He'll just, you just, you'll have thoughts come to your mind and go, oh, oh yeah, right. Okay, God. I want all that you have for me. Let me read one scripture here as we're, we're drawing to a close here. Romans 8, 28 up to 32, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God's foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I'll stop there and I'll, I'll continue on in a bit. So God's working behind the scenes for his followers, for those who love him, for those who've been called and they've responded to that call and said, yes, lead me. He's working for them. And then they, you got this crazy sentence that comes back, God foreknew, he predestined, all this language, let me simplify it. God knows you, he's got a destiny for you, and that destiny, a massive part of it is that he wants to transform you to become like his son Jesus. And his goal in doing all that, he says, to become the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Again, let me simplify it for you. He wants transformed people to be like Jesus in relationship with one another. 
He's forming a family. He's forming a family. So first he makes you a child of God. And then he makes you a brother and a sister to other children of God. And that's what he's doing. And then it gets even better. Verse 31 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? Because seriously, this is crazy. This is crazy good. This is crazy good. But it gets better. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Or another way to say that is, what does it matter who is against us? When you've got God on your side, when God loves you, you can have a lot of people hate you. You can have a lot of people uh, say bad things about you. But the word that's been said about you, that you are a child of God, is irrevocable and can never be taken away. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So you've got two great realities here. You've got two great realities. You've got, you got first, well, the one we just read. God, who be, because, we know he get, because we know God and his planning gave us Jesus, to, be, in a, to be, the, be a sacrifice for us, to take our sin on himself and to give us his righteousness in return. Because of that, because we see how great that is, then it's just a given that all the rest of the stuff that God wants to give us, which is good, but it's less than that. We understand God's heart through that action, so we go, whoa, he's got even more for us. If God would go that far to show his love for us, if God would go that far to show us he's for us and not against us, then he's going to give us everything else he wants to give us, and it's going to be good too. We understand God's orientation towards us is loving, incredible tender kindness towards us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And then you couple that with the fact that God is working for the good of those who love him. Think of it this way. Followers of Jesus, all followers of Jesus are sinners and do not deserve anything but judgment. That's what our sins do deserve. The Bible tells us that clearly. Which means that daily, hour by hour, we are receiving hundreds of good things that we don't deserve and bad things that happen to us which are being turned to good. Why? Why do people who don't deserve anything good and don't deserve to have bad things turned for good get so many good things and get all their bad things turned for good? Why? And the answer is because Christ died for us. The answer for all of this is, is seen in the cross. Christ died for us. And so all these things can be ours in him. And all that's left really with that, when God makes it so clear that he's for us, not against us, he wants to lead us, he wants to forgive us, he wants to give us so many good things in our lives, all that's left is for us to actually respond. I want you to imagine, okay, you get a credit card in the mail. How many of you ever got a credit card in the mail? One you didn't ask for. You're like, wow, credit card in the mail. And most people do what I do. They take a pair of scissors and they cut it into 14 little pieces. Right? Because you're saying, I'm not going to activate this because I don't trust myself. (laughs) 
What kind of credit limit? Wow, I could spend that today. I can think, no. And I don't want anyone else activating this either. Now I want you to imagine another scenario. You get an invitation in the mail. This invitation is from one of your closest friends. You haven't seen them for a bit, but they say, I'm getting married. And I really want you, because you're such a dear friend, to come to my wedding. In fact, this wedding is going to be like the wedding of all weddings. We're doing a destination wedding, and we're going to this amazing resort that, like, is out of this world. It's amazing. And I know that you probably can't afford to go, so we're already decided that we're going to pay your way to this incredible destination. So you can be with us, because I really want you to be there to celebrate my special day. And then at the bottom it says, please RSVP by such and such a date in order to book the flights. You can go around and tell all your friends, I'm going to an amazing location. But until you RSVP, you aren't going to an amazing location. Because that day will come and the bride will look at her list and she'll say, there was no response. And now I have to book the flights and now I have to book the hotels, and now it's done, and my friend never came. And you can, it's like the cross, you can hear all about God's offer of what he wants to do, how he wants to bring blessing into your life, how he wants to change your life, how he wants to transform it, how, he, how he's got nothing but good in mind for you, and actually he's paying the bill. But you've got to activate it in your life. By response. And it's a, simple, it's a simple response, but it's a very significant response. I mean, there's, there's several parts. I mean, you, first is we come to grips with the fact that we're sinners. We admit that we're sinners and we need his forgiveness. We need his leadership in our lives. That's the beginning point. And then it's simply believing that Christ died for you on the cross and he rose from the grave. And that that was enough to satisfy God. That was enough to separate us from our sin. Sin will separate you from God, or God through Jesus will separate you from your sin. And that's what he wants to do, and that's an incredible blessing in your life. But you've got to believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough uh, to satisfy God and, and to make you right with him. And then, I would encourage you through prayer, just confess to Jesus that he's the only way to God. He's the one that you need. Com- commit to live your life for him. And begin. Take that first step. I invite you to stand with me today. I'm talking at length about the goodness that God wants to bring in your life, but if, you, if you've never made that decision, I'd, I'd love to help you today. If you say, I've never made that decision, but I'd like to make that decision, I'm not, not totally sure how this goes. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to pray sort of a sample prayer for you that you can pray in your own heart. God knows your heart. He knows whether your heart is leaping forward to say yes to him or whether it's not. So it doesn't matter the preciseness of your words. But it does matter about the preciseness of your trust. Are you looking to him? Are you trusting in him? Or are you still saying, I'm going to do this renovation project on my own? I'm going to deal with my sin on my own. I'm going to clean myself up enough that I'll be acceptable to God on my own. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. 
So if you want to take that step of, of uh, repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus, I'm going to lead you. So let's just let's close our eyes right now and we'll just bow our heads. And let's, uh, if you're here and you need to pray a prayer just to begin that process of following Jesus, then you can, you can repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and need your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. I know that you're the only way to God, so now I want to quit living disobediently to you and, and to begin to follow you. Please forgive me. Please change my life and show me how to grow in knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen.